0: Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the
1: broken. Only Peter got out and he took some steps. Credit to him for that. And then, as soon as his eyes were taken off of Jesus and he focused on the circumstances, the wind, and the waves, he sunk. And I know it's not in this gospel account, but I think it begs that we make the application today. Guys, as soon as we take our eyes off of Jesus, you're going down, you're going down, you're gonna sink.
0: How bad does a storm have to be to freak out a bunch of fishermen? This wasn't Jesus disciples first boat ride either. Most of them came from a day job of fishing. However, let's give Peter a little bit of credit. After all, he was the only one of Jesus' disciples that stepped out of the boat to meet his teacher in the middle of the storm. Yet in today's message, Pastor James warns us that as soon as we take our eyes off of Jesus, we begin to sink. Jesus is quick to pull us up from the waves. Just call out his name. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 6, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: Jesus is walking on the water close enough to the boat to where they could kind of recognize him, but then also see like, there's a dude walking on the water and it looks like he's just going to keep on going. And that's what his intent was. Sometimes it feels like he does that in our lives. Like, Lord, struggling, Lord, the storm, I can't take it anymore. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. And you're like, but what? Aren't you going to stop? aren't you going to stop and help us? Don't you want to get in the boat? We like it when you're in the boat, Jesus. And he's like, well, if I have to, does that mean that him just with the plan of walking over to the other side of the shore meant that they probably were going to make it? Yeah. Yeah. They could trust him. They could trust him in the storm. You and I can trust him in our storms. Okay. Whether he is in the boat, maybe sleeping or walking right next to your boat, whatever that means, we can trust him that when he says, hey, I want you to go from here to there, you're going to get from here to there. I don't know what shape you'll be in when you get there. I don't know how frazzled you're going to be but from here to there and what all's going to transpire between the two points, but what I do know is his word is true. His word is true. You guys remember when cartoons were in newspapers? I don't know if they still are. I don't read a newspaper anymore. They had all these like cartoons and there's this family circus, is that right? That this got this little trail of this kid walking around and it's just like everywhere and you know, just all over the place, just tracking where this kid went and everything. That's in my brain. That's what it, my journeys across the sea look like to me. Because the Lord's like, I oh, not you go from here, point A to point B. And I'm like, okay, you got it. And I take off from point A, and then it feels like that thing where it's just like, where are you going? Like, what? No, stop. Just to point B. I'm trying, Jesus. I'm trying. I don't know what's going to happen for you in the midst of your journey of going from point A to point B. But I do know that if the Lord has called you from this place to that place or whatever that is, that he'll get you there. He'll get you there. He walks past these guys. He's walking on the water, intended to go past them. It says, they look out. It says, when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. And they were all terrified when they saw him. Now, here's the thing. I do not blame them at all. How many people have you seen walking on the water? Zero. I know the answer. It's zero. Zero. So put yourself in their position, three o'clock in the morning on the Sea of Galilee, waves are breaking into your boat, right? And you've been rowing for hours. You see somebody walking on the sea next to you. What are you thinking? I'm thinking the same thing. I don't even believe in ghosts. And I'm I'm thinking like, that's a ghost. What else could it be? It's like a sea monster. Like it's got to be something. People don't walk on the water. People don't walk on water. Oh, but the Son of God does. The Son of God does. So I don't blame these guys. I actually, I can identify with these guys where they see him and they they just catch this glimpse of him. It may have been hard to discern who he was in the midst of the wind and the waves. But honestly, who else was it going to be? Who else was it going to be? Jesus might be hard to discern for you and I in the midst of the storm. But honestly, who else is it going to be? Who else is going to show up when you need him the most? I mean, it's Jesus. I have a great family. I have a tremendous family. I have great friends. You know who's more dependable and reliable than even the greatest of those in my life? Jesus. Jesus. And that's no fault to them. That's no fault of family, friends, or anything like that. But I know this one thing. Jesus alone, and he's the only one who could ever say this, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you as as an orphan. I love that about the Lord. So in the midst of the storm, you look out and you're thinking like, this is it, we're going down. And there's Davy Jones there walking out on the water, whoever this guy is, like, they're terrified. They're, they're freaking out. But look how Jesus addresses this, okay? Jesus spoke to them at once. Do not be afraid. Again, I say this all the time. The most common command in the Bible, do not be afraid. It's 365 times it's written in the Bible, You don't need me to elaborate on that, right? How many calendar days are there? 365. There you go. You need a verse for the day? Hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why is it so often? Like, why is it repeated so often? Because we get afraid. Because we're very fragile. Fear consumes us very easily. I mean, look at the last two years we've been through. Fear has been like the monster, The big bad monster that's been chasing us all down, so to speak. And it has consumed some of us. But here the Lord Jesus shows up again and says, hey, I don't want you to be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Take courage. I love that. That's a great command. Don't be afraid. Well, then what am I supposed to do? Be brave. Take courage. It's courage. Courage. Well, courage. We're in a storm. We've been rowing for hours, and this ghost is talking to us. Like that, courage. Yeah, courage. You and I today in the world we live in, guys, don't be afraid. Take courage. Take courage. Please understand what that does not mean. That does not mean live foolishly. Okay. Take courage means. Follow Christ bravely, courageously, standing for what's true, standing for what's right, living for what's true, and living for what is right, going against the flow. Whatever the culture says is normal, I'm going to tell you this, it's probably going to be contrary to what the Word of God says. Stand for what's right, live for what's right. That's being courageous. That's being courageous. That means defying that fear that consumes you or defying that fear that wants to keep you from taking that next step, whatever that may be. Maybe it's like a little, you want to go on like a a little mission trip or something like that, but you're with the world we live in. It's like, well, I don't know if I should go because, you know, it's got this virus thing that's still going around and all this. And no, look, if the Lord's calling you to do something, then you take courage and you go for it. You go for it. That's what take courage means for you and I today. We answer the call. We hear his voice. We trust him. We trust his word. New King James says, Be of good cheer. It's the same word, the same kind of phrasing. Be of good cheer. The last little part of what he speaks to them, he only says three phrases to these guys in the middle of the lake. Three phrases. Don't be afraid. Take courage. And the third one, which is the best one, I am here. Now, here's what's special about that phrase. I am here, it's technically the I am. That's all he says, I am. And if you're a Jew, you got that, right? And I, I am not. Praise God for the word of God. We know that that's a direct reference back to Exodus chapter 3, 3.14, when Moses came across a burning bush. And the burning bush says, I am. Wait a minute, Jesus just said, I am? Like as in how Jehovah, how God said I am to Moses back in Exodus? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what he's saying. Wait a minute, is that like that whole Emmanuel, God with us thing? Yeah, that's it. Jesus never claimed to be God. Really? He just did. He just did. Because if you or I or anybody else were to say, I am, that's blasphemy because you are not and I am not. But Jesus can stand there on the water's surface, walking on water in the midst of a storm because the waves are still going, the wind is still howling, and he can stand right there and address his disciples and say, I am. And they would kind of get it. (laughs) They didn't even really get that. But that's amazing. He's like, I am. I'm here. The great I am is here right now. Now, in between that verse and verse 51, that's about when the story of Peter takes place, right? We know that story because we love people's failures because it makes us feel better about our lives, right? Um, And that's when Peter's like, God, Jesus, if it's you, because they were still like trying to wrestle with like, is it really him? Like, because who else is going to say that? If it's really you, then call me out there. Jesus like, come on. All right. You want to come out here, Peter? Sweet. Come on out. All of the disciples could have hopped out of the boat if they wanted to. I mean, that would have been pretty sweet, right? Like to where it's like, well, we can try to keep rowing this thing across there, or we could just walk with him to the other side. That would have been pretty rad. That would have been pretty gnarly right there, right? I mean, what a story to tell your grandkids, right? <laughs> like, hey, yeah, I walked with Jesus on top of the water. Um, only Peter got out, and he took some steps. Credit to him for that. And then as soon as his eyes were taken off of Jesus, and he focused on the circumstances, the wind and the waves, he sunk. And I know it's not in this gospel account, but I think it begs that we make the application today. Guys, as soon as we take our eyes off of Jesus, you're going down. You're going down. You're going to sink. Now, I mean, praise God that he's right there to reach down and pull a grown man out of the water, probably with just one hand. Like Jesus is like, I mean, come on, like he's walking on water and he's reaching down and snatching up a grown man with one hand. And then it probably just chunks him back into the boat. Right. (laughs) Like like super strong. I mean, we got, you know, I I don't know. There's an obsession with superheroes in our culture. Jesus is the greatest superhero ever because, like, who else is doing that? I mean, he just snatches down there, pulls Peter up, tosses him back into the boat, or carries him, maybe like this, right? Like, in some humiliating form, I'm sure, with Peter. Like, got him over his shoulder, walks back to the boat, throws Peter back in the boat. But, man, the principle is just as true as it was then as it is today. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The wind's going to blow. The waves are going to come crashing. Life's going to throw you all sorts of trouble. Keep your eyes fixed on him, the author and finisher of your faith. Okay? So, verse 51. When he climbed into the boat, that's Jesus, he climbed into the boat, the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. I love that Mark includes that, because they're like, wait, we're still trying to figure out this bread thing. Like, you just walked on water. And then, not only this, but uh, John's account says he got into the boat and they were transported immediately to the other side. There was no rowing involved. As soon as Jesus got in the boat, boom, they were there. They were halfway on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus gets into the boat with them and they're at the side where he intended them to go. And in the disciples' heads, they're still trying to figure out fish and bread. They're like, man, Jesus, I don't. We're just trying to figure out this bread thing. Maybe that's what they were doing while they were rolling for hours. Of like, how do you guys think he did that? We still got all these baskets full of food. Like, can you believe he multiplied? And then there he is walking, and now we're on the other side, and they still can't get past the loaves. They can't get past the loaves, and they just witnessed like a handful of other miracles right then and there. The reason they can't get past the loaves is it says right there in the last part of verse fifty-two their hearts were too hard to take it in. So they serve Jesus. They go out on a mini mission trip. They get all proud. They get all excited. They did great things. I think it went to their heads. I think it went to their heads because you don't start bossing Jesus around unless a little bit of arrogance comes into the equation, right? Because that's when they literally were bossing Jesus by telling him to send the crowds away. I think they still carried a little bit of bitterness in their hearts that they wanted the rest and they weren't getting the rest because of all the people. And it shows up here in this verse where it says that their hearts were hard. Their hearts were too hard to take it in because they were so just hung up on this idea of like, we've been serving you. Where's our break? And Jesus is like, you're missing so much. You are so self-focused that you are missing all these miracles You want a break, you'll get a break. It's coming. But what you're missing in the meantime is all these miraculous things. And not even just the things, but they're missing the one, the guy, Jesus. And I get it. We hear it all the time. Ministry would be great if it weren't for all the people, right? And I think that's the lamest thing ever. And I hear it at almost every single pastor's conference. It's a joke, right? It's a joke. But, And it's like, no, get over yourself, this is what we're here to do. We're here to minister. We're here to serve. What I don't want to miss out on, because the tendency of my heart is just to be just like these disciples, where I get so like bitter, I get so just angry because what I think I need is not happening. And then I turn inwardly. When I'm so inwardly focused, I'm missing out on all these things that the Lord is doing around me. And he's like, dude, you need to wake up. It's time to wake up. This thing is not about you. It's not about any of us. It's all about him. The disciples were in the midst of it. I mean, they were with Jesus, like Emmanuel, God with us. They're presently with them. And they're like, oh, man, the bread story. And now we get all this fish and bread here in our face, reminding us of how failures we are and selfish we are and all this stuff. And Jesus is like, hello, I just walked on water. I just transported us from the middle of the lake to the shore. You guys are missing it. You're missing it. I just said, I am. That's a big deal. There's going to be people that want to kill me for this later. And this just over their heads because their hearts are too hard to take it all in. Verse 53, as if in just when they thought like, we're going to get that break. No, you're not. (laughs) Verse 53, after they crossed the lake, they landed in Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and they climbed out. And lo and behold, there's all the people again. There they are again. The people recognized Jesus at once and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. What's interesting is like the two forms of how they got people to Jesus and the way for the people to get healing, it's fascinating that the two forms, we've already seen these stories. It was earlier on in Mark where the four friends took apart the roof to lower down their one friend who was on a mat. They carried their friend on a mat who is paralyzed, to drop him in through the ceiling just so he can be in front of Jesus so Jesus could heal him, right? And so now other people are like, hey, you got sick people, let's get them on mats, man. Apparently this works, right? Like, so they're all flocking to Jesus, okay? So they're, I don't know if they're copying that model or they just, that's the way they gotta get them there. But the other one is, it it says here, they begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. And we just saw that story, with a woman who had the bleeding issue for 12 years. And she pressed through the crowd, and her point of faith, the contact of faith for her was like, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, he's so holy. He is so holy that even if I just touch the hem of his robe, then that's enough to heal me. And she pressed through that crowd, and she touched the hem of his robe, and the bleeding stopped. The bleeding stopped. So maybe, quite possibly, the story of her story was circulating around the villages as well, and they kind of came up with this formula, so to speak, of like, hey, we heard it work like this once before, maybe we should try that again. I'm not saying they're wrong for doing that stuff, but don't try to put God in a box, okay? Because the way he may have healed somebody isn't always how he works or how he's going to do it again, okay? But this is what they know. And so they're all flocking to get to Jesus, and they're bringing the sick. They're bringing, you know, all the people, touch the hem of his garment, and it says all who touched him were healed. And it's amazing. What Mark's gospel, that's where Mark's gospel cuts off. And, and the last thing I'm going to say to you guys is this John's gospel says, uh, lets us know that these same crowds, it was going to be within this story where Jesus is going to lay down like, hey, you know, drink my blood, eat my flesh. Not literally, but that's how they took it, and they all left him. So it's all within the same timeline. As Jesus shows up on this other side of the shore, people are coming, and they're getting healed, and they're bringing their sick, and then Jesus is like, hey, let me tell you about communion. Let me tell you, let's talk about intimacy, Let's talk about my body, which at this point hadn't been broken for them, but would be broken for them, and his blood, which would be spilled on that cross and would cover all the sins. Hadn't happened yet, but it would. He says, listen, here's how it goes. And he drops that to them, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, 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 that's too weird for us. And they left. They left. But you know what Jesus did? He kept on going. He just kept on going. And these same crowds that were going to show up and all that good stuff, looking for a free lunch and everything, Jesus, he's going to feed 4,000. He's going to keep healing people and all that good stuff. But what the disciples get to watch is that when Jesus starts to proclaim the truth even more so and more clearly and it gets harder and harder, the groups are going to leave. And here the disciples are just wrestling through this whole thing of like, we just want rest. We're seeing all these stories. These stories are cool, but man, we just need some rest, Jesus. We want rest. And what they start to observe is some people are in this for all the wrong reasons. In their commitment to Jesus, it seems like it solidifies. So I think the good takeaway from this story is, um, you know, I don't know where you're at personally in your life. I don't need to know where you're at, so to speak. I mean, I'd be more than willing to pray for you but there's one better than me who is watching you even right now and is praying for you. And his name is Jesus. And just like he was watching those disciples struggling to get across the sea, he's watching them, and he showed up in their storm, got into their boat, got them to where he wanted them to be, took away the storm for that day, for that day. He's still in the business of doing that. He's still in the business of doing that. And so the best comfort I can give you is that Jesus' eyes are still fixed on you. They're still fixed on you. And I'm always, always, always reminded of this. Hebrews chapter 12, when he was walking to that cross, his eyes were fixed on you. His eyes have never left you. His watch has never left you. You've always been on his heart. You've always been on his mind, just like Willie Nelson. You're always on my mind, right? You get it. You know that song. Don't tell me you don't know that song, all right? Um, you're, you're always on his heart. You're always on his heart. And he cares about you. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And that's never going to change.
2: Hope, hope the hopeless hope.
0: Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful, as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth and then those to come because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone? Then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time here on Bread for the Broken.
2: Let me paint the picture of you.